My name is Nicole Ruiz Hudson, and um, well, I'm a writer and an educator. Um, most of the time I work on my own, although I also work with Stephen Josiah at Bay Grape. But since I work on my own most of the time, I find myself very much in the position of the student uh, here with uh, these wonderful women in management. Um, but we're all here to learn from each other, and I came to learn from the best, as I think most of you did too. Um, and we are so lucky to have these wonderful women from such, such diverse areas in the wine business. Um, and let me introduce them to you. So we have Jenna Domingue, uh, VP of Global Sales for Wine Direct, mom and all things um, direct to consumer, <laughs> Molly Madden, founder and CEO of Red Hen Collective, feminist worker-owned wine importer and wholesaler, Jill Klein Mathiasen, Vintner, Mathiasen Wines, Debbie Zacharias, um, partner and wine buyer for Ferry Plaza Wine Merchant and Oxbow Cheese and Wine Merchant here in Napa. And Debbie Ziegelbaum, farm and vineyard consultant with very extensive I just want to point out there's two Debbie Zs on this panel, which yeah. is amazing. <laughs> it's so true. You're with a Y and I'm with an IE. That's right. That's the only difference. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so let's dive right into this discussion because I think we have a lot to cover. Um, so we did, uh, we, as the other panels, we did a lot of discussing ahead of time um, about what we wanted to talk about. So I'm just gonna prompt them with some questions that we came up with and take it from there. Uh, so I think one of the, at the very basic level, having women in management is really important for the rest of us coming up just to have an image of what that looks like. But I think with that comes a lot of responsibility. And how do you see that responsibility for yourselves? And what are some of the narratives that you still think need changing? Jill, would you like to start us off? Um, so uh, I guess I'll just start with, um, well, with thanking everybody for coming. This has been, so far, an amazing collection of people here um, and discussions and presentations, and I'm just honored to be on the panel right now. And I also want to thank the many um, men who are here and who are part of this business that are on the same wavelength with us and in supporting us in the same uh, efforts that we're doing as women in business. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, my husband and I started our wine brand about 15 years ago, and I've done everything in our business, Every worked at every job practically. Um, I'm not the winemaker, that's my husband's job, but um, otherwise I've just, I've done just about everything. Um, but my background, my now the thing that I do the most is I run the business and sell the wine. And um, my background, I was a science, studied science and agriculture. I have no background in business or in sales. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always been, um, you know, a steep learning curve and a big challenge uh, for me in the business. And um, one of the things that, you know, we started a wine brand out of nothing that we um, in 2003, um, there was really a uh, slow ramp up for when we got it started and then social media started catch, uh, taking hold and it was a great opportunity for us to become more known. And we built, uh, c 
created an image for our brand and you know a real brand identity through our through social media and that's been a real powerful tool for us and we've been really excited about that opportunity to be able to do that um, and um, you know there's a lot of other people who a, a lot of other women who are in the business of building brands in the wine business not just selling wine, but also as a sommelier or as owning a restaurant or writing, uh, in, being a journalist, having a blog. You know, there's a lot of people in this industry that are promoting themselves constantly through social media. And I think, you know, there's a question that I have is really how we um, as women can most effectively promote ourselves um, and, and what kind of public image we really want to have as women in this industry. And, you know, I always, we've always taken the approach that we should just be honest about our, who we are as people and represent our life. Um, it's pretty easy, we're a family business, we farm, we talk a lot about the connection that we have with food. That's been an obvious choice for us. Um, and I see women in the industry, you know, very smart women, you know, in social media doing great, very interesting things and in, in promoting themselves. So I was really surprised recently, and this is just kind of um, the lead up to this whole, this whole kind of topic that we're getting to is, um, I was reading a blog post about um, s somebody did a Q&A to like five sommeliers about a particular topic and I thought that, um, you know, it was really this one particular woman answered this question, I thought, in a just really well put, well thought out, very succinct um, way. And I was like somebody I hadn't heard of, so I decided to look them up. And I was um, started reading their bio, and they were very accomplished, um, had a, a, a master's degree in journalism, which made sense for their very thoughtful like presentation of the answer of the question. And they had been a successful sommelier working at really hot, um, well-known restaurants in Southern California. And, and then um, I saw, but, but the first kind of t uh, line of the, of the, or the tagline, I guess, um, of this person's blog was that they're, um, given all these qualifications that I just gave you, she called herself kind of a wine pro. And I was like, wow, that just is so sort of dismissive instantly of all that um, expertise that she has. Like, why was she discounting her uh, abilities? A, a, a guy would never, ever put on their website that they were kind of a wine pro after being a sommelier at five of the top restaurants in Southern California, right? Um, and then I kind of scrolled down and looked at some of the photos um, of her, and they were all very sort of sexually provocative photos. And I was even more taken aback. Like, wow, on her own credentials, she totally got this. Like, she's really smart. She writes really smart articles. Like, why is this the way she feels necessary to drive traffic to her, her brand, really? And I was like, kind of upset about it. And then I started thinking like, am I just an old, you know, Puritan, like <laughs> fuddy-duddy and like, this is just the way I see things. And is this, is this really the right way to think about this? And is there some more kind of current advanced thinking in this kind of genre of like, how do we as women present ourselves 
in this industry or in any industry, really. Um, and so I really want to ask you guys, like, the answer to that question, because I don't know. Like, do you guys have opinions? I mean, I truly want to sort of um, think about, like, a, you know, have a little bit of a discussion here. Like, right now, I'm serious. Like, Somebody said millennials are. We'll take a couple of comments from the audience, but. <laughs> so the woman who commented before I jumped out of my chair said, uh, and I don't disagree with you, said, millennial women are setting us, in quotes, back by presenting themselves in overly sexualized contexts in a professional arena of wine. I jumped out of my chair. Jill has just talked to us about what she talked to us about and said, from my perspective in New York City as the five-year buyer for a celebrated natural wine shop, I saw this happening with young Psalms, female Psalms, that I knew were hot and beautiful, should embrace their sensuality in their Instagram feeds. But then I would see photos of like them in a mini skirt with a shot essentially up their wazoo saying, I don't have to put up with whistles from construction workers because I chose to wear this today. And I would think, yes, you don't. But to take that shot and post it on Instagram for everyone else to look up your skirt, I don't know. I shared your view. Are these women undermining us then? I spoke to millennial women and younger who said, you're so old, so old. You fought those battles so that I could be who I am right now. My sensuality is a part of who I am right now. And look at me, what did I do today? I challenged myself, I got one day I'm not in the vines wearing a t-shirt covering every bar part of my physique. I wore my dress, I've got my cleavage. <laughs> Yes, yes women, I am a woman. But in the professional context, I will never post a photo of myself in a miniskirt with a shot going up my butt to say, men, don't whistle at me. Because there is a context of feminist evolution and if we don't embrace it, nobody has to wear, uh, I can't remember what those collars are called, but button up to your, your neck collar to be free, but we have to call into context who we are in the profession when we want to, as so many women on these panels have said today, we want to foster professionals who follow behind us. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to remind everyone to please keep things positive, but, but I would love an opinion. I, I wouldn't, I, this is the first time ever in my life that I've self-identified as a millennial, so I apologize. I'm, I'm an old millennial, I will say, but um, I just think it's important to represent. Um, respectfully, your attitude is what keeps the wine industry the way it is. Um, I work in the wine industry and I'm a wine consumer and the wine industry is as diverse as the Instagram accounts that you can find on the internet. Um, what you choose to do as a woman on the internet is your choice. And I would argue that what this young woman, I don't know who it is, puts on her Instagram doesn't affect how you're perceived in the workplace. 
What I will tell you is that millennials do not perceive the wine industry as full of bombshell psalms. That's not the perception. The perception is still quite stuffy, mm, mm, um, mm, that mm. everyone's intimidated to speak about wine. And so I would say whatever she'd like to do on her Instagram is not really any of our business. I would say that the more diverse voices we can have speaking about wine, whether you agree with it or not, um, is to the benefit of the industry because more people will feel comfortable attending events like this um, and speaking about wine from wherever they're coming from. And I don't do that myself. I work at a big company, but um, I support any woman's right to speak about wine in whatever way she chooses because up till now, it hasn't been all that diverse. So that's just my piece as the millennial in the room. Thank you so much for sharing. Nicole. Nicole. Yes, Jenna, I wow. actually would love to hear <laughs> your side. I know you have perspectives on as this as well. As a former professional cheerleader. No. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, that, that was so many lifetimes ago. But I will say that I think you're spot on in saying that the more we focus on this, the low cut, the how'd she show up, is she smart? Can she truly represent the wine industry respectfully? Um, what happens on social media is social media. Let's leave it there. And let's get down to the business of, you know, how we collectively, as women, manage ourselves in the wine industry. So a little, I'm going to take a sort of a pivot from Jill, because she was really focused on the eye of how do we promote ourselves? How do we put ourselves out there? The question for me about what's my responsibility as an executive in the wine industry? Um, factors on one thing. It's my responsibility to show up, to show up prepared, to understand what I am there to accomplish. And the greater good is to bring other women along with me. This is not just about me. I, so well put. Thank so, you. Oh, sorry. Well, no, I just wanted to really quickly, um, because the second part of that, the question mm -hmm. you asked was about um, what narratives do I think need to change? And, and I will say that I believe that it's sort of our preconceived ideas, whether it's mm -hmm. marketing, who our buyers are, who, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. who participates, who shows up. Um, those are the narratives that need to change. And specifically, I will say, I'm an executive I don't have a degree. I, I'm pursuing my, ma my, I am pursuing my uh, master's degree right now, but um, think about, I'm, I'm good at what I do because I was a single mom of three kids and I raised them by myself. My budget comes in under budget every year because <laughs> I had to figure out how to make it work every month. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm good at what I do. And so don't just assume that because somebody graduated with a bachelor's degree, went to Wharton, and is now in front of you, makes them a great candidate for you. Look at the whole life, their life skills, their social skills. What are they bringing to the table and how are they really going to influence your business? So I, I think that's the sort of the narrative yeah. of looking at the straight line of who should be in the industry and who should be an executive or who sh in any role, um, but widening your circle of selection. I, yeah, right on. Thank you so much, Jenna. I think um, I wanted. Oh, sorry. sorry, we're just taking this over, Nicole. Sorry about that. Okay. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to bring in a theme of mentorship, which is something that Jenna talked on. Sorry, sorry, okay. sorry, but not sorry. Okay. Sorry. But I wanted to bring in that theme of mentorship, and it's something that Tanya started off the morning with, 
was about bringing other people up and being that mentor and, and creating those opportunities. And, and when you're in that spot to, to bring that person up or be that mentor and step up, do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, and continuing on that point, I think yeah. that the point you made about um, bringing other women up along with you is like, I think the key to what we're doing here today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about mentorship more because that's so crucial. Um, how have you all viewed your roles in, as mentors and what have you done in your professional lives to, and personal lives to bring on other women up along with you? Debbie. Well, I learned how to be a good mentor from a good mentor who happened to be a male. But when I started in the, in the wine business in 1991, I worked at the Ashbury Market under Wilfred Wong. And, and I was one of the few women at that point who was in, in wine buying and wine retail or, or anything. And he was my biggest cheerleader. And, and everything that I did, he supported me. And he, you know, watched w w glowingly um, to my, with my success. And, um, and when it became my turn to run the show, I had realized that the most beautiful thing you can do for anybody is to support them, um, to cheer for them, to help them, and to realize that if they're really good, then you want to support them and not stand in their way. You can't be threatened by somebody who's great because they're going to be great in spite of how good you are. Um, I remember when Shelly came to me and said, I'm opening my own restaurant. And I was like, yes, that is so awesome. Because you look at people who are fantastic and you want to see them succeed. And I think a lot of women in general, and, and probably men too, you know, they are, get very competitive and, and, you know, it's like I have a top position and somebody's going to now be the new star on the show. And, and really we've become the most amazing community of people. And I think um, we really support each other. And, and you know, 20 years later, I, I look at the people who I've worked with and, um, and I'm just so happy to see so much success. Um, in terms of some of the women, it's really interesting because I was thinking about, I try to get away from this men, women, you know, discussion because I feel like Batonage, we've beaten it to death. I mean, we've all talked about, you know, women and versus men and the differences. And, and um, but one thing I thought about in, in my years of um, Bacar and EOS and Ferry Plaza and Ashbury Market, and, and I looked at the various women who I have worked with and men, and the, the people who have been the most amazing coworkers have been some of the most strong successful, confident, amazing women. They're not afraid to get out and do something. They're not above it. They just go and they do it. And, and they really seem to know how to, to run a show without ego, without intimidation, and they just go and they do it. And to this day, you know, I have, uh, we have two managers at Ferry Plaza. Both are amazing, strong, phenomenal women. Our accountants is a woman. Our wine club manager is a woman. I mean, and, and we've had many, many men walk through the doors. But what do they do? They stay for a few months and then they go and find some startup or there's some internet company that's launching or there's some opportunity that's better. And three months later, they're somewhere else. And so I found that part of my success, I, I never use the word mine or I or or me, it's always us. And, and I really believe that what has made 
our businesses strong is that there is this team and there's this partnership and that it's all of us together. And if somebody can do something better than me, then they just got assigned that job. Okay. Anyone else? What is Personal experiences? I've done, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of mentorship in my career. Um, both, uh, we were talking earlier today about, or Malcolm was talking earlier today about farm workers and uh, mentoring women in the farm worker field. I had a woman um, work for me who started just in the row and she had good talent and she became, over years, um, became foreman and was really... I couldn't have farmed without her. She was great. I couldn't have survived all the harvests that we did. Um, and when she, when I first took over and I had another vineyard supervisor and I said, you know, hey, um, Minerva has a lot of good talent and I think she could, you know, she's very, she weed eats. She's the bad, ad, bad assistist weed eater that I've ever <laughs> met. That woman is amazing. Um, but I said this to the vineyard supervisor at the time and he's like, Debbie, 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 women can't prune, women can't weed eat, da, 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 da. And that goes back to, that assumption of, of not being physical, and that happens a lot in vineyards. And um, so taught her how to drive tractor. We had an old 1986 Ford that was a stick shift, and man, she didn't know how to drive it, and man, you better believe she figured it out. She was amazing. So just creating that opportunity. I had another woman who um, I wanted to teach to drive tractor, and it wasn't successful because her husband didn't want her to drive, and so that she had those pressures at home. So there's all different kinds of things that happen, right? On the more middle class you know, management side or like VitTech side, I've um, been involved in starting up some networks. We have an email listserv that there's quite a few women here that are on that listserv for women in viticulture. So one of the things that, it's not just mentoring you, mentoring that person coming up, though I've done that too. Um, it's also creating networks and, and networking people and supporting each other. Um, because I'm in industry meetings a lot where I'm the only woman, and nobody points out, like, oh, hey, isn't it great we have some women here today? So, guys, welcome to my world. Um, welcome to our world. Um, right? So I think it's important. Um, I was just thinking, Steve says, um, the tide raises all boats. And I think that's really true, you know. Yeah. So there. And actually, in our discussions, I believe some of you have discussed like education initiatives within your own companies that mm -hmm. you've initiated. Does anyone want to volunteer? Jill, I think you had some. Yeah, I mean, we are just actually get started bringing um, our uh, vineyard employees in-house. We were using a farm labor uh, company before that. So... Um, and we're going to start uh, the, the um, permanent employees that we have. Most of them don't speak English. So we're going to provide um, them to uh, opportunities to learn English and um, also um, learn about viticulture. And um, on our, you know, we're going to on our dime basically yeah, yeah. And that's our, great yeah and i think that's actually a perfect lead in to our next question because we're going to deal with all of the hot button issues on this panel <laughs> um, so we're here to discuss women but i think we can all agree that there are other groups um people of color different yeah. ethnicities um lgbt communities that are still missing from the table quote unquote um what's our responsibility to other communities to make room at the table for everyone else, Molly. Oh boy, that's not loaded. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so yeah, hello, I'm Molly Madden, and um, I'm, I'm building a company right now that is uh, it's called Red Hen Collective, and we're working on, I've been working in, in wine wholesale and imports for 10 or 15 years, and um, and I and I think I spent a lot of time trying to trying to work with the models we've been talking about today of like, okay, how do I negotiate better for myself? And how do I have better like work-life balance? And how do I have better self-care? And how do I, and you know, I'm reading articles and I'm going to therapy and I, and I'm doing all this stuff inside of my head and inside of me. And I'm, and I'm trying to figure all this stuff out kind of alone. <laughs> and I keep coming up against these, these, you know, brick walls and these barriers. And then, and each time I hit my head, I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? It's because I'm not confident enough or I don't, I haven't been seeking out the right mentorship and um, and leaving uh, leaving to go out on my own and create something myself was was sort of like a rock bottom and maybe this is the way I can go out and and find something where I don't keep hitting these these obstacles. So just that management, women in management, women's leadership, like okay, that feels like a door, right? That feels like a place that we can go where we're going to start um, making pathways and getting out of these like glass ceiling situations, except for it, it doesn't end there <laughs> because then it's like, well, wait a minute, where do you get the capital to start a company? Oh, companies in my industry, in, in wholesale, they, they're capitalized off the farmers and they're capitalized off of like brokers and salespeople who are making commission. Like, and they're kept, and you know, I'm going to my old bosses and I'm like, how'd you raise the money? And they're like, who's your dad golf with? <laughs> and I'm like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Fund it off your farmers. Don't pay your staff. Who's your dad golf with? Those those solutions don't work for me. <laughs> so like so so it's like instead of just trying to like I just wanted to get my own job and get in a comfortable place and but each time I follow this like you start pulling this thread. <laughs> And the sweater starts to unravel and it's like, oh shit, where is this going? And you start to discover like, this is such a complex system of issues here. And I can't just look at the glass ceiling above my head and think that if I take down this glass ceiling right here, then I'm gonna be okay. Because there's glass ceilings below my feet. And so the work here and the conversations I'm wanting to have, and I'm really excited that this is coming up in this panel, is about not just the glass ceiling above my head, but the glass ceilings below our feet. And how do we build pathways that truly pass all the way from the ground up to the very top? And mentorship is the beginning of a conversation about that. But it's not about, it can't be about mentorship. What do I do personally when I wake up and I journal about it and I talk to my therapist about it and be a better mentor? <laughs> like, like, I need a freaking system of mentorship. And it needs to cross cultures. And it needs to cross economic access points. It needs to cross legal status. It needs to cross, like, people who are working in hospitality, who are working at below minimum wage, because there's, you know, and, and, it, and who is working in a vineyard, and they're not here. And we, like, I want to be having conversations that are building pathways, you know, in my daily life. But those pathways are not here. So I have to start building them. And that's pretty uncomfortable. So, yeah, so some of my questions, as I'm structuring my business, um, are not just what do I do as a leader on a daily basis to be a better person, but what, what systems need to be in place? What policies, what relationships, what economic models, 
um, what needs to be happening systemically in my business, because that then moves out throughout my entire industry um, in order to make pathways for people who otherwise have no access to come up to where I'm headed. Does anyone else want to add on here? Yeah, Jenna. Can, yeah, I'll just speak. You know, I got into the wine industry. Um, it's it, funny. I was at the, the winery with a girlfriend, and we were both talking about how much we love wine, blah, 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 and we were like, "But I never see myself in marketing. Like, I don't know. Like, do I really sh do I fit in here?" And I will tell you that it's very common that amongst communities of color, LGBT, uh, and it's not it, it, it's gender, it's it's color, it's racial. A lot of people don't feel invited to the party. Mm. And so I would implore you as decision makers, wherever you are in your roles, to start thinking about how you shape your hospitality program, how you shape your initiatives around hiring, how you think about your approach to marketing. We've all, we've all seen the table of six of us sitting and cheers on the front of a brochure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually not there. <laughs> but I'm very willing to go in and spend a good amount of money on a good bottle of wine that I like. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends are as well. Mm -hmm. You have this aspirational group of women and men, but I'll speak for women, who have achieved a certain level. Their, their kids are in college. They're off. They're doing well. And they want to celebrate that. And what do we do? We want to buy wine. Well, we'll try something new. I'm not drinking Boone's Farm anymore, right? <laughs> or, or whatever it was you were drinking. You want to start appreciating the finer things of life, which means you've got a whole group of people that you probably are not talking to right now. Um, I, I think marketing does two things. One, you tell your story. You tell the story of the vineyard and Giuseppe and the whole nine mm -hmm. and how we've got started. <laughs> and the other flip side of marketing is you're speaking to a very specific persona, a buyer. And most of us have in our mind who that buyer is. And it's probably a 35-year-old white woman. Kind of cute. Here I go. Right. Um, <laughs> we know who she is. She's in our head. That is, might be 50% of your buyers. Might be. Maybe more. But I just would implore you to open up your thought process when you start thinking about who are we approaching, who is our audience, who do we want to be our audience? So not just who is it now, but who should we be opening up to? Are we doing any sensitivity training around with our with our staff? What happens when two moms walk in, two dads walk in? They just got married. Are you prepared? Is your staff prepared to properly deal with that? So just I just would implore you uh, when you start thinking about oh, does it matter? We're, we're just a, a nice little tasting room up in Yonville. Does it matter? It does. It does matter. And. I would implore you to start thinking about how you approach those topics. Thank you for saying that. Because if I go in one more place and someone asks me if my wife is my sister, I might scream. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so let's dive in a little deeper into inviting people to the party. How do we get everybody at this table? How do we get more people comfortable with wine and really something that feels like a luxury product? Um, also in working in it. And I think we've discussed today that there are many systemic issues going on here, both for keeping women in wine, for keeping other groups in wine. Um, 
how do we how do we keep them in the party? And we talk, Jill, you mentioned educational programs. Um, what else can we do? What are our hiring practices? What can we do um, to get everybody involved, Debbie? I think it's like Malcolm's study. It's Malcolm and Monica's study because he works for Monica. But studies like that, asking the crews what they need. And, and giving them a voice. I also think it's important what you do in crisis because there is a dark underbelly that happened here in Napa most and Sonoma where crews were forced to go work and, and with things on fire with their lives in danger. And I frankly lost my job because I refused to do that. And I'm not looking for accolades. I'm just saying that, and I would do it again if I knew because it, it, there's a right and there's a wrong, you know? And it's like... Brown bodies don't matter. There's a whole thing going on there. So it's it's everything from what do you do when things times are fat and when you're feeling good and what do you do when things are, you know, your lives are in danger. And there were consulting winemakers forced to send people out on picks because they felt like they were going to lose their clients. Um, vineyard management companies, it felt like they were going to lose their clients and they felt like they had to do that. And the wine's going to be crap anyway because they're, after the fires, there was a bunch of smoke taint. Don't let anyone bullshit you. I did the testing, I took the grapes in myself. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. What is your company culture and will it stand up to crisis? I think um, switching from a personal lens to a systemic lens about how do we deal with crisis is really key because if we don't have policies about this, and this is policies in your, policies in your company or policies at your shop or policies on your crew, it has to be explicit because when crisis happens, we fall apart and we just we just do we're we're in trauma and we just fall down and we operate at the very lowest common denominator of our behavior and we we revert to the most explicit power dynamics that exist in our country. And so brown bodies, like poor bodies, women's bodies, queer, like weird, like unintelligibly gendered bodies, that's who gets that's who's sacrificed when crisis happens. And so it's really easy to have good intentions when we're not in stress. Um, but systemically, we need to build things within our companies. Um, and those are, those are educational programs. Those are policies about how we mentor and who we mentor and who gets compensated for mentoring. Mentoring is well and good. I've done more of it than almost anything else, and I've never been freaking paid for it. It's some of that unpaid labor that I do in every company I've ever worked for. And it's something that a lot of men choose not to do because it doesn't get paid. And they could get, you know, they could go home at the end of the day and not have to spend an extra six hours this week mentoring the women in their company who aren't getting any training. Um, mentoring's awesome, but it needs to be part of a policy. And then how do you decide who gets mentored if we don't think about, if we don't like have a policy about it where we're saying, no, wait, this needs to be inclusive. We need to see more brown people up on, you know, in sales. We need to see more Latinos like moving into, uh, winemaking. We need to see more like indigenous people who can own their own freaking land. Like you have to have policies about that because otherwise we just revert to to business as usual. It's just too easy and one person in crisis can't hold the line by themselves. Okay. So we've talked about actually there, there's something you said in there that um, I think leads in perfectly because um, we well we've talked a lot about the well women in the business but I think we have to think about our consumers too and um, I think once you are in a position of leadership you have an ability to target your consumers in a different way and what 
what can we do moving forward to change that? Or how shall we look at it in a different, in a new light? Sorry. Well, um, <laughs> no, okay, sorry, we don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. No, I, I, I think um, <laughs> women are more than 60% of the, the decision makers and, and the buyers. I'd love to see more courses, you know, around true wine education um, for women. Uh, most women I talk to, I have a small little wine business on the side, and they just, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know what I like. I just, I don't know. Right, and I go, but, but you, but you do know what you like. So take it seriously. Ask yourself a few questions, because when you sit down and the psalm asks you what you want, even if you don't know what you want, be able to iterate what you like. And so, you know, well, I, I like something off dry, or I like something, uh, you know, a little more acidic. So use your words. Like so, just sometimes I think a little bit of wine education for women is empowering, because even if, like I said, if you don't know what label or what vintage you want, that's okay be able to describe who you are and what you like. So I think that I'd love to see more one education specific to women. It's funny, when I first started um, working tables as a sommelier, um, the, being a woman turned out to be a little bit of an advantage in the sense that men were actually less intimidated by a woman walking over to the table and selling them wine. And they were immediately more relaxed and, and ready to engage rather than show what they knew. And, and I found that, that everything that I, uh, everything I do and every time I approach anybody, which is very often at Ferry Plaza, um, it's a conversation. I've never, um, between my two partners and I, we probably have a combined over 100 years worth of wine experience and we've never <laughs> sold a single bottle of wine on a third party review. So everything that we do, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> everything that we do is a dialogue and, um, and it's about teaching people what, um, you know, what, what, bringing them someplace that, that they want to go. Some people want something that makes them feel really comfortable. So I think any good wine person is going to have a wine program that, isn't an expression of just their love for orange wine, which I don't love, but sorry about that. Um, or um, you name it. It's, it's, it has to be a very broad spectrum of, of wine. And, and your job is hospitality, which means your job is to make people feel comfortable. And I used to tell people that it's really easy to give somebody something that they know and love, but it's a whole lot more fun to give them a new discovery. So my job is to turn people on to new wines, to ask them what they like, to ask questions. And if they look at me like, I don't know what I like, I will ask them if they, have a, if they know of a brand that they like. Do they have any pictures on their phone that they want to show me of wines that they like? I mean, it's about starting a dialogue. And it's, it's about matching the person with, um, with what they want. Because whether they're spending $20 in a store or $100 in a restaurant, a bargain isn't a bargain if you pour it down the drain. And they're going to come back to you and they're going to be loyal to you, not because they um, read about a 99-point wine and you have it, but they're going to come back to you because you, you created an experience for them that made them feel happy and comfortable. And, I mean, maybe, you know, I grew up in New York and, and um, my grandmother was a very strong woman. She was a gym teacher and she drove around in a Firebird and, you know, she was my rock star. <laughs> 
And um, my grandfather was six foot four, and he owned a coat factory, and he was never intimidated by my grandmother. So I kind of grew up in this very sort of open environment. My kids go to, my, my son's actually graduating this year, but my kids are lifers at the French American International School. And, and so they've grown up in a really diverse environment. One time, I, like, my son said to me, I think about nine years into the school, he said, Mom, do you realize you're the only American ever in the room? And that's how diverse this school is. So I think I just, I kind of grew up not really recognizing whether somebody was straight or gay, black or white, or, or anything. I, I think everybody is just a person. And so um, it, maybe it's one of the things that is just inherent and that I've definitely gifted my children. But when somebody walks in the door to buy a bottle of wine, they're walking in the door to buy a bottle of wine. I don't care what they look like or who they are. I just want to, you know give them their experience that they came in for. So it should, it should really be that simple. Unfortunately, it's not, but I think I've been lucky enough to, to have that as just part of who I am. I think that there's a, I, I, yeah, I think I love your, your grandparents' story. That's so wonderful. Um, I think that it, I, it, I'm kind of wanting to tie what you just said back to um, the very first conversation we had today about implicit bias, um, which is really interesting because I, I have similar intentions and I also grew up, you know, in a very like, don't see the color. Like that's how we deal with racism in, in my upbringing is like, we're all the same. Like d don't, we didn't talk about it. We didn't. And that's like, that's like, a, that's part of kind of a white, a larger kind of dominant narrative in white culture. Um, but I, th I actually think even in these situations, we still need a, we need a systemic approach because the unconscious takes over. And so, like I work in a, a wine shop that I just adore in Jack London um, called Minima Wine Shop and has just an unbelievable, it's the most culturally diverse clientele in a wine shop that I've ever experienced. And I worked, you know, I worked in New York City for, in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And, um, and one of the things that they do is that every single person who walks through the door gets asked the same question. Um, and so it isn't like an emotional, like, oh, do, do I feel like this person is interested in a bottle of serious wine or funny wine? Or It's just like, you just ask every single person who comes through the door, like, have you been in here before? Here's what we do. This is where this stuff is. What are you thirsty for today? And, um, and it's extraordinary how, how often I'm surprised <laughs> by what the, the people actually want. Um, and, I, and it's like, whoa, if I had just gone off my gut, I would have been wrong. Uh, and, and they wouldn't have felt welcomed, they would have felt like condescended, or they would have felt dismissed, or I would have been talking way over their head without realizing it. Um, and I was like, oh, this is an amazing example of how a really simple policy that impacts every single interaction in a business has created a dynamic that makes, in particular, I observe, I was like, wow, I've never seen so many people of color want to come to a wine shop owned by a couple of white ladies. Like, <laughs> because that is not usually a welcoming environment, right? <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> I get away with it because I'm like, it's like I'm white, so I look like it's like, oh yeah, she, it's, it's her culture. I'm like, yeah, Irish people have been making wine for zero years. <laughs> My people and our like rotten potato wine, like, but I pass, you know. So I get the good treatment when I walk in. Um, so it's extraordinary to be like, wow, look at this. We can create a, a more welcoming environment, and it doesn't fall onto me as the individual to like undo racism every single time somebody comes through the door. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Got it. I got that, you guys. I totally got that. <laughs> um, 
But it, it just, it's like, look at this, it's a policy. And it takes so much pressure off the individual to make a choice every single time on such an incredible teaching tool. And it creates such a welcoming environment. And then people keep coming back. And then we have a whole cycle of diverse voices and tastes, and that creates a feedback loop that changes the kind of wines we bring in. It creates a feedback loop that changes the kind of people that apply, which means it, change who, it changes who our clientele is because they're responding to who our staff are. It's extraordinary, and it didn't fall on me as an individual to make a better choice in a stressful situation. That's like the power of a tiny systemic solution. Thank you so much for that, Molly. I think it's so true. Um, just real quick, do we have, still have time for questions? One question. Thank you. So, <laughs> so I can take one question from the audience. Um, just, please. That's a great question. Thank you so much. Um, basically, yeah. Um, essentially, sometimes women, there can be girl-on-girl -girl fights. How do, how do we counterbalance that? How do we work together more constructively? Anyone want to field that, Debbie? Well, it goes back to you know, what I said about supporting, right? And it's something, you know, I have two kids. They're, they're 15 and 18, and, and um, you know, the whole bullying thing and mean kids. And I said to my son one day, I'm like, you know what? Take a look at anybody that you admire. Take a look at anybody you respect. Are they negative or are they positive? The more positive energy, the more support, the better of a person you are, the better the environment is. I mean, it's, it, there's, you know, it, it, again, everybody can be competitive, but people are going to be as great as they're going to be. And, you know, I remember Wilfred wanted to take credit for my success. And that was fine because he didn't just take credit, he supported me. And I think that, you know, if somebody is, is, negative, I just walk away and find the next person. I mean, you, you know, that's their problem. Whatever's going on in their life is, is their life. If you can help them, great. But if, if their intention is to be negative and not support you, then those are not the people that you want to surround yourself with. They're not the people you want to work with. You want to go to an environment where it's, it's a positive environment. I mean, you don't want to spend one second in a, in a, in a negative situation if you don't have to. So um, whether you can create that or whether you have to find it, I think the most important thing is to be in it. Sorry, we're making sure everybody gets a chance to talk because you know some of us talk more than others. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes that competition comes from the idea that maybe there's only one spot for a woman in the company, right? And you guys are all heads. Um, sometimes you can't solve it. Sometimes people are too, women are too far gone to that. Sometimes you can reach out and you can, you can find yourself. And this is again, going back to the eye, but find yourself doing it and being like, holy crap, I'm doing this thing and take a chance and reach out to that person mm -hmm. and say, I want to work with you. I don't want to be in competition and see what happens. Sometimes they could just it could go horribly, but sometimes it could go super awesome and it changes things. Um, you know, not everybody's your tribe. That's okay. <laughs> when you can, you hang out with your people. I get it. Sometimes in the work environment, you're sort of stuck in a place where it's not your tribe and you do the best you can. If you can find ways to build those bridges, if you can ask of your higher ups that that is created, if there's a, an opportunity to speak up, um, sometimes there's not a lot you can do and you sort of have to 
find somewhere else to go, unfortunately, if you can. Yeah. I sort of have a policy that there's more than enough for everyone. There yeah. is more than enough. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at, like, Adrian is here, my marketing director. If she's doing a great job, we all look good. Mm -hmm. You know, people mm -hmm. go, oh, my God, your marketing's great. Thank you. Right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But we have, there's strong women there. And uh, another point that I really try to make at work is I speak to every single person the same way. Like, I try not to give, I mean, I, I'd like to think, hope, hope I'm friendly and you know, professional to everyone. And I want to give that vibe to the new girl who just started, to someone I work with closely for the last five years. I want to make sure everyone feels like they can approach me with any question at any time. And it's not too small, too you know, unimportant. And so I really have a, a policy of making sure any woman, man can approach. And I think that takes the combative nature out of the day. You know, I, I don't need to fight or push up or try to muscle in. Um, I know my role, you know, I'm, I'm doing mine, you do yours. Right. And then I, and I also think that um, like with my team, I always say, I, these, are, these are the people who work with me. I don't say for me, I say with me. And that we're a collective. And so it's, I think it's part of, if you have a mindset of building a team around you, a tribe of people who are supportive, that should be reciprocal. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is a great point to end on. Let's all work together. Um, I just want to say one thing um, just really quickly and with regards to that, because I think that sometimes people aren't always aware. And um, if I was in that situation and I, and I left it, I'd probably write a note to somebody within that company and maybe even that person and say, I just want you to know I, I felt not supported. And, and they don't have to respond, but I think sometimes, you know, anybody in management um, has has been told things that we've learned from, and I know I have. I know that you know um, somebody once told me that um, I didn't always say hello to them, and I realized that it was important to always say hello to everybody. And I, and sometimes you you don't know because you're just like you've 16 million things going on, and you're not really paying attention to the fact that somebody's watching your every move. And I think that what might make environments a better place or, or when you can find a way to just let that person know that. They may or may not learn from it, but you know, making mistakes are okay. Learning from them is, is what it's about. So those who can, will. Okay. So guys, a big round of applause for our panelists. These are incredibly difficult topics. I want to thank you so much for being willing to be vulnerable and share with us. So one more big round of applause for everybody today. <laughs>